page by page, I remember all the emotions that Golden Sun handed me, realizing that it was so much more complex than its predecessor. The second entry of the saga began to unravel an entire universe within its pages, growing into a dense science fiction world of wonder that somehow captured all the familiarity of life outside the story. Pierce Brown made this book come to life. He made Darrow and Severo and Mustang my friends. And then he ripped my heart out of my chest, wounding me more than I knew a book could. But there was something so inescapably fascinating about that. There was joy to the chaos and struggle this book brought. Do you remember how it felt when you read this book for the first time? The satisfaction you had when Darrow beat Cassius at the gala and ripped his arm off? Did you ever want to trust the Jackal but knew you couldn't? Were you left with any affection for Rogue, or was he absolutely dead to you? This is Hail Reaper, Season 2, An Examination of Golden Sun. Broadcast here. Mustang? Yeah, let me get several. Several. No, it's not clown, it's broadcast. Are you drunk? Mustang needs us on Luna. The Reaper needs his pack. Hello everyone, welcome to Hail Reaper Season 2. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. What's up, dude? What is going on, man? I am stoked to be jumping into Season 2 with you. And this is my favorite book. I'm excited to talk all about it, to break it down, to talk about Darrow, talk about Severo. It's going to be so exciting. I'm like really genuinely so excited. No, I'm pumped. I want to kind of give people an idea of what's been going on in our lives the last few months. And for me, I had a baby. I have, wow. I have, I'm, I'm a dad twice over. Yeah. You didn't know that. I didn't know you didn't know that. Even though we're, we're best friends since high school, you didn't know I had a baby, huh? I like to give you that like honest reaction. Like I'm pretending for you. <laughs> Dude, what about you? What, what was like a good highlight that you had over the last few months? No, for me, I think uh, Christmas was probably my, my highlight. I, I'm a huge Christmas guy. I got kids five and eight. So they're that perfect age. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of beyond that, I think I look at silver linings and, you know, with COVID and the whole situation going on to wake up on Christmas morning and just have that kind of tight knit, uh, group, you know, instead of like a massive amount of people and stuff was kind of, it brought back that nostalgia for me. So that was kind of nice. That is beautiful. I'm glad you had that time. We've got two announcements. The first being that Hail Reaper is a fan podcast. We have no affiliation with Pierce Brown, Random House Publishing or Delay Books. We are just fans that love Red Rising and we're just inspired by the story. So thanks, Pierce Brown. This is really fun to make. 
The second one is a spoiler tag for all of book two. If you haven't checked out book two yet, go ahead and read that and come back because we'd love to have you. We don't want to be the ones spoiling stuff for you. So uh, let's go ahead and jump all the way in. Before we like roll into talking about individual scenes or individual characters in Golden Sun, I feel like we have to talk about the book as like a singular piece of work, like in the broad strokes kind of uh, pantheon of Red Rising rather. And I think the way to do that for me is kind of to judge it against its peers, which are the first two books in the trilogy that aren't Golden Sun. So they, they echo each other a lot, both Red Rising and Morningstar. There, there are stories of going from absolutely nothing to something. You see the ascension happen in book one, where you're seeing a red helldiver of Mars all the way to the arch primus of the Mars Institute. And then you have a similar experience happen again in book three, where you're going from underneath a table to the top of society. And the variance in book two just isn't that great. There's no big upward swing or huge arc. Like Darrow, the journey of Darrow is actually pretty steady. Like he does lose his standing at the beginning of the book by losing the academy, but all the agency that he has, he quickly regains like right after the gala scene. And he's kind of back in full force. So even though the, the journey is steady, Darrow is still a highly volatile character. But what I love about that is that it allows Pierce Brown to go ahead and bring forth the world building aspect in Golden Sun. And he's able to bring forth new characters that are fun. Like Victor is one of my favorite characters in the whole book or the whole series. And he's also to bring forth these old characters and give them amazing depth. And they kind of share the spotlight with Darrow. Like it's no longer just Darrow's story. It's like everyone else's story too. Like Severo and Roke and Mustang. They're like all in it. They're all in the forefront with him. And that's why this is my favorite book of the series. Yeah, for me, this one probably slots in it too, right behind Iron Gold. And it's for all the, the reasons that you really brought up. And I think, you know, for an author, there's certainly this pitfall for a book two of a trilogy where, like you talked about, you have this, this ascension, right? this progression from low to high in books one and three. And in order to kind of get back, you have to build in this regression in book two, and it can leave you like really stale with a story. And one thing that Pierce does masterfully here is he's able to kind of inject this amazing action and this amazing character development and everything amidst this kind of sedentary character. I mean, if you look at one and three, Darrow is this massive force, like a bull just driving through that proverbial China shop and just affecting the entire story. And in book two, he's not that, right? He is that sedentary character, but Pierce is able to kind of just swirl all this action and all this character development and, and everything around him and, and still end up with a great product. Yeah, Darrow is like, he's a really different type of character in this book. He is like the reactor rather than the initiator. In books one and three, even four and five, he's much more of an initiator. And in here, he just has to react to whatever is being offered to him. And so we just kind of end up with someone, a different type of Darrow. For me, which is kind of weird because Darrow is probably, if not my favorite fictional character ever or tied with like two or three or whatever, one, even one maybe. And so it's just a different look on him. But yet I'm completely in awe of him like through the entire time. I think another element of Golden Sun that I really like is this sense of world building that it gives you. I mean, Pierce definitely does this in, in book one, where you go from the mines and then you come out to Yorkton and it kind of blossoms into this much wider science fiction story, much like the Wizard of Oz kind of goes into color. And similarly, 
in Golden Sun, you go from this exclusive Martian story to one of the whole solar system. And one of the great elements that it brings in is one of a political thriller. And that really interests me to a great deal. I, I love political thrillers. I think just including this, not only like relational elements that he writes, but also kind of this house or family warfare. And I think he really is able to tap into almost these elements of Dune and kind of bring them into the story. I think that's what's very attractive to a lot of people. As we're kind of just swapping points back and forth, we have to talk about the pacing of this book. The pacing of this book is on full throttle for like the entire time. It's like action scene bleeding over into action scene, bleeding over into action scene. And I was kind of thumbing through the book, realizing like, when are you allowed to rest? When does Pierce Brown give you that a tranquil moment? And he doesn't really offer that a lot in this book because even like the scenes of just dialogue or conversation still bring a level of anxiety into them. Like the one that we're gonna talk about later is that conversation that Darrow and Adrius have at the Lost We Den, that restaurant that Adrius owns. Like that is not a relaxing conversation. That is a conversation that has you on the edge of your seat, like an action scene would. A book like Golden Sun truly is a page turner. I mean, this is one that flows incredibly well, has good continuity, fantastic action. And like you said, it's hard to put down. I mean, when are you supposed to eat dinner with your family? When are you supposed to get a good <laughs> night's sleep? I mean, you, it's hard to. Hold on, mom. Hold on. I'm, I'm finishing this chapter. I got to finish Golden Sun. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. And it's like these moments that he gives you are so few and far between that you really have to rely on those. But it's definitely like this room for a pitfall because it can oversaturate a bit, but I think Pierce strikes that proper balance. I think that this book just moves so well and so fluidly. And I love the experience of being able to just jump in this world and being fully immersed by the action or by the anxiety or by the fractures that are happening with just all the relationships. It's a blast, even though it is chaotic. No, 100%. And, and on the topic of relationships, I think I'd be remiss to not bring up like one last point or something. And that's how much I enjoy Pierce's writing of relationships in this. I mean, we both agree. We've talked about this. We think he's a master of dialogue and relationship and character. And he shows that in the first book, but he really doubles down on that. He elevates it and shows that in spades here. Yes. I mean, in the first one, you had this kind of tumultuous, you know, Cassius Darrow relationship, and it kind of went back and forth. And that was great to track with. Now in this one, it actually, my favorite relationship possibly that he's written because of how convoluted and, and difficult it is to figure out is actually that of Darrow and Roke. I mean, on one hand, take for instance, the Galicine. You have the ability for Darrow to save anyone he wants. I mean, several's not in the mix, obviously, but but people like Mustang, Tactus, there's, there's so many people that are in that mix and mm -hmm. Darrow chooses not to save them. But who does he save? The one person is Roke. But at the same time, this story is very much about this fracturing relationship, this tearing at the seams and breaking apart of them and this mistrust. And I can't even in my own mind, like figure out how those two really fit together. And just that struggle is so fun to be with. Yeah. The way that Darrow navigates his relationships in this book is puzzling. And I always, when I read this book, I'm like, why are you treating Roke like a bad dog, essentially in a way, you know, like he just kind of puts him out. And the other example of just Darrow's like kind of uh, weird choices with relationships is his alliance with Adrius Augustus. And I want to break that fully open with you and talk about it after our break. Broadcast here. This is awkward, but it seems that I've misplaced the tape for today's ad. I know, so unprofessional. But never fear, 
I shall read the ad copy myself. Now, I know it's not what I do, really, but I think I can hack it. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Tariqin Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tariqin Law just might be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. And the great thing about Tariqin Law is that there's no double speak, there's no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through, help you get to the next step. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Getting started is easy, just call 559-627-5399. I'm guessing that's a Terran number. Or visit Terrigianlaw.com on the holiday. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So, once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. Or call 559-627-5399. Terrigianlaw. The advice you need, minus the BS. Let's go to chapter seven of Golden Sun and talk about what I think is one of the most iconic and one of the most foundational scenes in the entire book. And I think it frames much of the story from this point forward. You have Adris Augustus and Darrow Alandromedus merging in this scene. Darrow is offered a job, protection, and full immunity from his arch nemesis, I just don't understand what's happening here. I love the eeriness of the conversation. I love how these characters are like familiar and even though they haven't talked in what seems like years maybe, they just jump into something that seems really natural. Oh, call me the jackal. Hearing Adrius from your lips is like hearing a cat bark. Yeah, this scene definitely has this like deeply confusing kind of nature to it i mean on one hand you have one of our favorite characters uh, possibly the most loyal one to darrow and his causes is victra and yes. she's the one who sets this meeting up in the first place so that's a bit mind-boggling but then you have the fact that darrow even says within the, the confines of those two chapters that that he had an inkling he had this idea that he that adrius was the one behind this meeting and that's who he was going to show up with and then he kind of further states that once he set foot on the shuttle, he was all in. And he actually tells Adrius that he was out of options. And I know this is kind of weird, but like, I actually disagree with Darrow on this moment. I, I don't think he had exhausted all his options and he was out of them. I have the same note and I kind of actually penciled down like, well, what were his options? Like, what could he have done? The, the one I think about first is Mustang. Like, I mean, I know that she's with Cassius and we're going to talk about that later and kind of explored that, but still like he didn't even bother to reach out to her and that relationship is so great and they're so connected in such a unique way, but he doesn't even try. And similarly, he doesn't try to contact Severo who he's his best bud, right. you know, and they, they've been back for rather, Darrow's been back from the Academy for two months. So he's had access to like talk to him on the, on the hollow net. He just didn't really he just kind of like wanted to be like a brooding, like kind of bro, you know, instead of like contacting his best buds. <laughs> And then the other option I could think of is he had Fitchner and Fitchner is yeah, like, you know, okay. So Fitchner is a weird one, but it, and it's a left field one, but yeah, he's always had his back and he's always kind of looked out for him and, and, you know, tried to put him in a position that he could succeed in, but he doesn't reach out to any of those people. And like you said, 
Roke. Roke is just the bad dog that's been put out and it's like, you're gonna stay outside until you can act better. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even run this by Roke, yet he does choose to save him, you know, at the gala scene. It's, it's all confusing. And I just, I believe what you said. He did not exhaust his options. But I think I know why. I've thought about this a lot. And I was like, okay, so why does he think he's out of options? Or why does he think that Adrius is the best option is maybe the better question. Mm. And he sees Adrius as someone who absolutely refuses to lose. Like this dude ate kids to stay alive, <laughs> to win, or to hope to win. And so Daryl was like, I'm going to put myself with the most tenacious MFR I can find <laughs> because I'm going to be gunned down by the Bologna. And, or I could go with this dude who will do anything to stay alive. And so I'm gonna attach myself to him and he's gonna attach himself to me and we will ascend together within the story. Yeah, I mean, there is that that confusion uh, to this scene and there's this like really unsettling feeling and that comes from, for me, almost this familiarity between the two characters. Mm -hmm. It's like It's like they're old college buddies. I mean, they're just gelling at every moment Darrow understands his humor. They're kind of like, it's just too comfortable for me, I guess. They're vibing like super hard. Like they have this back and forth that feels like really natural as if they talk all the time. Like they talked yesterday on the phone. Like, hey, what's up, man? How's it going? But they haven't. Like, in fact, on the page, the last time they had a conversation was like chapter 40 of Red Rising. Maybe mm. there was some off-page conversations, but, and, and part of that conversation that they had was Lucian not Adrius, not the Jackal. It was this like fake persona. And so the only conversation they've ever really had is a really brief one right before Adrius kills Pax. Then they peace out and they don't really talk again. But yet here they are exchanging jokes, exchanging jabs, and it's just really all too familiar. Yeah, I think one great example of of that humor and that exchanging jokes is Adrius kind of throws this random thing out where he says that he's going to kill Darrow. And, and take his head, I think is what he says, right? Yeah, your head. Yeah, and, and at that moment, you're like, it's a trap. You know, I, I fully expected this this kind of ambush to happen, and yet Darrow didn't. I mean, Darrow is completely tracking with Adrius and his sense of humor and just got, kind of was like, hey, man, like, you got a warped sense of humor here. I want to talk about a theory that comes from this conversation that I've developed over the last few months, and I we've talked about it off the podcast, but we should have this conversation on the podcast it's this idea of what if Adrius is actually the golden son? What if he's actually the title character rather than Darrow? They're both pushed to the margins of society. Both these characters have been essentially kicked to the curb by Nero Augustus, and now they have to kind of bond together to climb up. And by the end of the book, they're at the tip top, and they're both kind of in the same standing. And so that's why you could kind of see that maybe it's not really about Darrow, the golden son is really Adris's crown. Yeah, I think the easy, quick, short, and Pierce Brown approved answer to that is absolutely not. I think, you know, Darrow is definitely the reference of the golden son in this. But at the same time, I actually really, really like this theory of yours. I mean, I think exploring that, vetting it out, and kind of jumping down that rabbit trail with you is pretty worthwhile because obviously to use like a Pierce Brown phrase, to shift the paradigm on this and, and really look at it from that angle and include the idea of another central figure is I think really valuable to the story. Like Adris really is the son essentially, right? Like Darrow is, becomes the adopted son of Nero Augustus by the end of the book. 
But the real son is Adrius. He's been there all along. And in fact, Adrius has been the one that's been pulling the strings and manipulating everyone around him, especially Darrow, throughout the entire book. And by the end of the book, no matter what you think of Adrius, he's the victor. He's the one wearing the crown. He takes the cake. And it's his book. Like, it is an Adrius book. Book one was a Darrow book. Like, he won. And now it's Adrius' turn to win. And him winning is much crazier, much scarier, and much more emphatic than Darrow winning in book one. Yeah, there's these interesting similarities between the two characters. I mean, in a previous episode we did Jackal, we actually really explored that. And I think that Pierce is actually writing this intentionally. I think he doubles down. I mean, even inside this dialogue of the two chapters, uh, Darrow says, in an odd way, he is like me. Yeah. And you had us do this real fun experiment with some dialogue in, in book one where we flip the roles. And I, I want to do that here again because I think it fits. This is one of my favorite quotes, I guess, from it. I'm going to read it. So, Adrius, I could poison my father anytime I want, but I don't. Do you know why? Darrow, because you've not gotten what you need from him? Adrius, and that is Darrow, his approval. And the fun thing is Darrow could be saying the exact same thing. Exactly. I mean, zoom back to book one from the very get-go. Darrow's sole mission has been to kill Nero. Before he was even in the Rising, before he was Sons of Ares, he had made a vow that he was going to kill Nero. So that's his motive. And he's also had opportunity. I mean, he's so close on the inner circle of Nero. And... He has had plenty of opportunity to do it, but he hasn't. And why? It's because in a sense, he needs his approval. He needs a term that you use, his agency. Mm -hmm. He needs that, that uplift, that wind from Nero's power to kind of project him into this prominent role to affect the change he wants to. Yeah. So let's go and change the paradigm in this podcast and let's talk <laughs> about, let's talk about Darrow. We, we can't go too long without talking about him. And before we wrap up, we have to mention Darrow. I was watching old videos from Pierce Brown on press tours for Golden Sun back in 2015. And just to kind of see what he said about the book at the time it was released. And the one thing that really popped out to me is how he described Darrow. When someone asked, like, how would you describe Darrow? And he was like, melancholy. In fact, like Pierce Brown put himself in a depressed state. He would listen to like really melancholy and depressing songs. He would lock himself in his room just to get inside of that kind of that Darrow headspace that this book offers. There are just so few notes of joy in this book. Like, you know, my favorite note of joy in book one is she's a cook. <laughs> it's just a fun experience of that raid on House Minerva. There's like good times with Mustang. There's good times with Cassius before it gets sour. I mean, can you imagine Darrow saying, I'm having fun in this book at any point? No. Because he says that in book one, like, I'm having fun. He doesn't say he's having fun. It'd be wild to say he's having fun in this book at any point. If melancholy was the feeling that Pierce was going for, he nailed it. Darrow's a lost soul in this book, at odds with himself. I mean, he has this regression, and he's kind of losing ground toward that ultimate live for more goal that he has. From the very get-go, when he was carved, he hated his gold self. He couldn't even look at himself in the mirror. He constantly referenced his red features like his hands. 
And as you progress, Pierce kind of writes this recognition and this acknowledgement and favor toward his gold traits. In this book, I don't think he knows what he is. Is he a red? Is he a gold? Is he both or none? He and Golden Sun as a whole are this ship set adrift in the ocean. And the book has these storming elements, this overcast nature to it. There's nothing to navigate by. There's no North Star guiding them. That's where you get that regression. That's where you get this kind of melancholy nature. I love that the Jeremy analogies are back. I miss that. <laughs> That's episode one of 10 down. Oh my gosh, dude. I'm so stoked for these next couple episodes. Before we get out of here fully, we got to give a few shout outs to some friends that made this show possible. The first one is to Mathar, who is our producer, our sound designer, and also our director. Thank you so much, Mathar, for all the work you've done for Hail Reaper. It means a lot to both Jeremy and I, and we're thankful you're on board. Thanks to Josh, who is our engineer, who is really fun to work with, really cool guy, and he makes us sound pretty, so thank you, Josh. Thanks to Will Champion, who did some amazing voiceover work in our intro. To all our patrons, you guys have been such great supporters of us. It's been cool to get to know you and get to like hang out with you on Discord, and anyone who wants to come on and be a patron with us, it's only $1 to join. We'd love to have you. And finally, thanks to Pierce Brown for inspiring us to make a podcast and to talk about Red Rising, and it's been a blast. So until next week. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper is a production of Catacomb Party. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe. And thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey, with editing and sound design by Mathar De Leon. The bit of music you're hearing right now was written and produced by Sahab. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow at HailReaperPod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers in the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash HailReaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn Reaper. Oh, I mean.